Hi everyone, Kristen here. Our guest today is Mary Flum Peterson. She's an award-winning television journalist, a New York Times bestselling author, and an acclaimed public speaker. She began her career at CNN and is currently a senior executive producer at Good Morning America. In September of 2015, she wrote her first book, White Dresses, a memoir of love and secrets, mothers and daughters, which was published by Harper Collins. The book tells the story of Mary's decidedly complicated yet fiercely loving family. The book was critically acclaimed. It hit the New York Times bestseller list twice. She's received five Emmys, two Edward R. Murrows, a Peabody, a DuPont, and a WGA award. And on the show, Mary was just Mary, which is fantastic. She absolutely understands what you go through as a child with parents who have mental illness challenges. And she's so open about this. We talk about many different subjects. Please don't miss this one. Tune in all the way to the end. You'll be surprised at some of the things we get into just when we're like, we're running out of time. So stick around with us. Thanks for tuning in. I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Oh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Mary, thank you so much for coming on the show. We absolutely appreciate it. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Our extraordinary PR person, Ryan McDonald, is the one that, who is also a podcaster on the network, is the one who uh, told us about you and about your book. And I was like, how did I miss this? This was on the New York Times bestselling list. It talks about things that we need to talk about. So I'm I'm really pleased that you came on and that someone, you know, that has the reach that you do is talking about these kinds of topics in relation to mental health. Oh, well, thank you. I, it, it, I think uh, if I've learned one thing from writing this book, it's it's just how alone so many people have felt about some of the issues addressed in the book um, involving um, depression and compulsive hoarding and, and other, other issues. I think for so many families, as you well know, um, mm -hmm. mental health issues become something of a dirty little secret, especially hoarding and whatnot. So um, I'm heartened to be able to talk to you and, and hopefully be able to connect with some more of your, your listeners. Absolutely. I want to make sure everyone that's listening hears again. The name of the book is White Dresses, a memoir of love and secrets, mothers and daughters. And I found it on Amazon. You can too. <laughs> 
So what prompted you? I mean, I understand, and I'm entrenched in the world of mental health. So I talk about it openly all the time. And then when I leave that bubble and I'm in a different place and I see still some shock or discomfort with people, I'm always a little shocked, but I live in this world. So how, what was the process for you to even write this and want to put it out when your whole world and what you do in your career and so on is not in that mental health bubble? Well, I think, you know, the book came about very, it was kind of a strange path. I had been working on a novel, kind of a chick lit, very light novel. And I thought I was going to finish it up right after the the birth of our fourth child, our our baby girl. And I took a, a writing class to kind of polish this book off. It was basically done. And some publishers had expressed some initial interest on the book, by the way, never, never did come out. But I, I, I I wasn't thinking at all about writing about myself and certainly not about the secrets of my family. Mm -hmm. I frankly didn't find my family to be as interesting as many people in the class thought they were. What happened is there was an in-class writing exercise where regardless of whether you were writing fiction or this this novel that I was writing, the, the teacher wanted us to write a little bit about ourselves at the beginning of each class to warm up. And I wrote about my mother one day and Mm. she had recently died. And I wrote about how I I got my name and my name, Mary came. uh, I didn't know for the longest time where my name came from. And eventually she told me uh, I I, I didn't like my name growing up. I thought it was very boring and old fashioned. And (laughs) I probably wanted to be Zelda or something, right? I wanted to be Linda. I wanted to be like, I thought thought it sounded more fun. Um, But, (laughs) It turned out my mother had been a Catholic nun for almost a decade, which she kept secret from the family. It was one of many secrets she kept. And um, when I finally found out, and, and, and you know, she she you know kept her faith even after leaving the convent and wanted to to show that faith by naming me Mary. But when I wrote this essay, the the class said we want to know more about you and your mom. You know, this novel that's fine, but Ooh. this is interesting. And I started to write more. And as I wrote more, and I wrote the book, it's called White Dresses because, as so many of your listeners may know, if they grew up in or know of families, especially Catholic families, but other families as well. White is such a significant color for um, dresses on significant days like baptisms and first mm-hmm. communions, um, certainly wedding days, uh, in my case, graduation dresses as well. So uh, I, and it was also the, the, the color of the dress my mother wore when she became a nun. Um, all of the nuns, when they take their first vows, wear white dresses. But I envisioned writing this book about this trail of white dresses. I did not realize until I wrote about my white graduation dress in high school that I wore the day I, I graduated. How, whether I was going to talk about my mother's hoarding, and she, uh, my mother suffered from great bouts of depression throughout uh, much of her life, uh, beginning from when she was a teenager, late teenager, or certainly early by the time she was in her early twenties, and it, it grew worse and worse. Uh, some of it was inherited, but a lot was, you know, conditional in terms of. Um, just a lot of a lot of loss in her life, and it devolved into compulsive hoarding when I was growing up. So mm-hmm. um, by the time I graduated from high school, and I wrote about this that, that particular chapter, um, I didn't know that I wanted to come forward with all of these details. And I I found that when I it just came together, it flowed out of me. And I found from that initial listening audience, that same writing class they were so hungry for more and they felt it was so helpful and they felt like 
it was rather um, empowering in a way. And I found that to be the case. It's so wonderful when you come clean. Um, you really connect with people. You know this better than anyone. Yes. You know, we all go around in this age of Facebook and social media and think yeah. that everyone's lives are so perfect. And I think we're robbing ourselves of the, the ability to make some real connections. And so anyway, everyone really encouraged me. And I thought, well, what do I have to lose? I and mean, this is who I am. This mm. is part of who I am. I, I don't think it's something to be ashamed of that a family has, mm. has mental illness running through it. So there, there it came. And the response has been overwhelming. I, I get letters uh, every week, sometimes several a day. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the book has been published uh, in other languages. It's also really interesting to see that hoarding and a lot of these complicated family issues, you know, I hear, I've heard from people in Malta, certainly people in the Netherlands, um, Ireland, uh, mm -hmm. Italy, um, Israel, uh, Turkey, um, hoarding issues have affected I shouldn't just say hoarding. The book goes about uh, into so much more. My father had been gay and came out, and um, that's certainly a big issue that remains prevalent for um, serious Catholic families, Christian families, even in this age where many people come out. There's a lot of issues explored, but um, it's been edifying to find out how we're all more alike than we are different, uh, especially when we expose our vulnerabilities. Absolutely. So how was it for you then? I'm glad that you didn't have shame. I mean, so many people that I talk to, um, you know, we've had guests that, you know, the titles of their books are something along the lines of, you know, don't tell the family secrets or whatever. And I come from a family where you just did not talk. And then, you know, I was getting up and doing talks about sexual abuse at an age yeah. when I was a teenager and my family was like, oh my, shut her up. <laughs> so, so I'm glad that you, you know, you felt comfortable to just put it out there. Was, was there any part of you with other family members or colleagues that you felt any kind of a little bit of discomfort or that they felt uncomfortable that as you were doing this or when it came out? There were certainly a few. I, you know, I, my, my family was largely supportive in part because I told them what was going on. I, I put my journalist hat on, even though I was writing something very personal, I wanted to make sure I got the story as right as I could. And when I, so the family knew that I was at least trying to do due diligence. And the fascinating thing is, uh, I'm sure you know this, if you, if you work in mental health and you work in therapy, it's fascinating talking to different family members about the same events. And really realizing that people's views of how things happened or their memories of the same event can be so different. Um, that was fascinating and illuminating where I really got to better understand just kind of how childhood memories work and how, you know, and, and their truths were their truths, but they were all slightly different sides of this, this coin. So, but the family was largely supportive. And I have to say my dad, um, was was very supportive he's since died but he you know he doesn't always come across that he's a complicated man um and and it was a great credit to him that he was so giving of so much information about my parents marriage about mm -hmm. how hard we so often forget in today's day and age where you know will and grace has been a, a big hit show not once but twice um, where being gay, um, you know, has been, um, for lack of a better term, I mean, it's, it's certainly, it's, it's, it's part of our society, but right. uh, it, it, as it should be, uh, people you know, being more accepted for who they are. But when my dad was growing up, I mean, people forget for case. so long. 
It was not the case and still in many pockets, especially of conservative Catholic families, especially in small towns in the Midwest, like where I grew up wonderful small town. So I have tons of love for the small, small towns in the Midwest, mm -hmm. but people can be very closed. Um, you know, he was so giving of talking about, you know, coming out and what that meant. He had many suicide attempts. Um, he took a lot of his, his fears and anger out on my mother, um, but he was still so giving. He, he understood that coming clean, a family coming clean with their full story um, was actually a gift. Yes, and, very healing uh, for you yeah. and uh, for people that hear it and read it. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I would encourage anyone out there, I sometimes am approached at book signings or I've gotten notes saying, oh, I wish I could do what you did mm. and, and write this down. And I encourage people, write at whatever level you can. I think it's a gift to let future generations know it wasn't so easy and there were struggles. Um, I think it's, it's, it's helpful um, that people and in, in subsequent generations know, um, you know, grandpa wasn't just born in the state and died on this date and was this kind of sports fan, but yeah, he struggled. And right. I think there's something very empowering that we know um, we come from a line of survivors and mental health. It's, 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 as you know, it's a big thing and mental illness is not for the faint of heart. And, right. and just as we talk about someone overcoming cancer, I'd love it if we start talking more about overcoming these other kinds of struggles that, that are equally um, daunting and, and, and something to behold when, when you can say, yep, <laughs> these are my scars. And, mm -hmm. and I hopefully became a better person or a better parent in the end because of them. So anyway, um, family was very supportive. Colleagues, um, if a, a few colleagues after writing the book, there was, there was definitely some judgment, um, holding mm -hmm. me at arm's length, but you know, it, it is what it is. Right. Um, I've learned in my old age, sometimes when people hold you at arm's length, there's something else going on there. Did the With book them? strike a chord yeah. about something going on in their family? Did it, um, make them feel uncomfortable because of their own issues? And, and, right. and that, and that, that's just, that is what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've definitely, I've had my people, it's talks, get up and scream at me. How do, dare you say this about your father, you know, with me, with the sexual abuse, not, I never would have that now, but back in the day when I was doing this, that was not okay to talk about. And I, even then I knew, okay, something's going on with this person that yeah. has nothing to do with me. And I was like, it's 16 like are there any counselors in the room because this I'm not one I'm just 16 this person is going to need some help you know yeah it's so it's so interesting right and when you can take a step back and view that and it's helped me with kind of the rest of life as well I mean you really do increasingly understand that at least my mother um, used to tell me that growing up and and she was spot on you know mm -hmm. when some of these interactions happen wow that this isn't about me anymore this is something <laughs> and right. um you know and 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 that that's um that's okay. I'm, I'm grateful to my husband for being so supportive of, of recognizing that, you know, um, putting yourself out there is, yeah. But the great thing is you put yourself out there um, and you make so many connections. I've yes. gone to school events where um, we, we live in New York City. New York can be, it's wonderful, but certain circles, you know, you know, people put on, on certain airs. Yep. And I, after a drink or two at some of these functions, you know, I mean, where, where it's proper to drink, you know, maybe a cocktail yes. party, for example. <laughs> it's 
amazing. Uh, it, it's happened quite frequently. A parent that I think, you know, has it all together and they do in so many ways, they right. pull me aside. Can they talk to me for a minute? And they will, it's almost like a confessional because they've yes. read the book. They feel like they can be honest with me or authentic with me in a way that they couldn't with others. And some fascinating stories. And it's just made me give them a hug and say, wow, you know, <laughs> you know, thank you for sharing this and, you know, and encouraging them gently, you know, share more of this. Your real self with your complicated family is just as lovable as, you know, your, your seemingly perfect self um, with everything all in a row. Absolutely. They go, oh my gosh, there's a real deep person who's not going to judge me. I can tell them. And it's this huge freeing, you know, those are huge healing moments for people that keep all that in. So whenever someone oh. does that, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad they did that. Because I tell everybody everything, you know, because that's what I'm used to doing. But I get it yeah. with other people. Sometimes you're the first person that they're like, oh, I can tell her, you know. And how great is it to have that yeah. real kind of conversation where, you know, it goes be, you know, far beneath. There's nothing wrong with, you know, talking about the weather or, you know, yeah. how pretty decorations look at a school event, but to go beyond and, and have that real connection or those are the same people where now when I see them, we can have that exchange of how are you, you know, meaning like, you know, really, no, how are you, you know, and, and being able to connect on a different level, I, you know, life is short and being able to make those connections is, is what it's all about. So I, yeah, I'm definitely a huge advocate as I know you are show those vulnerabilities and, and help each other out. I, it's, it's great. Talk to us about, to me, what's always interesting is when you grow up with something to you, that's normal. So when, you know, when did you have an idea at what age that what was going on with your mother's depression and the hoarding that this probably wasn't quote unquote normal. And how soon did you know that it was called depression and called hoarding? That's a great question. And I've thought about that. I, you know, my mother um, had a couple of breakdowns when I was growing up. So those are the big telltale signs. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, when, when my, my parent, when my dad was leaving, I mean, I knew, you know, there was, it's just a ton of sadness and also some relief when he left because, you know, it, you know, he'd had a couple of suicide attempts before he left. So it was almost a relief when he went. But then with, with respect to my mother, I think certainly when she was hospitalized, there was two different summers when I was growing up and she was hospitalized and, you know, and I was angry. I mean, you know, not, not acting out, um, you know, in, in any big way, but I just yeah. remember thinking, you know, everybody else is, you know, you know, not only in my hometown, divorce was still pretty uncommon growing up. That's definitely changed. But at the time, it was a, you know, it was very uncommon um, to be in a single parent home. And it especially, you know, it might, you know, my church and, and whatnot. Yeah. And, um, and then on top of it, you know, to have, you know, I knew something was off with my dad. I didn't find out he was gay until I was a teenager. They kept that really under wraps, but the town knew, you know how towns talk. So I knew something was off there. But when my mother went away and uh, the hospital she was in, which I think is pretty typical, you know, for the the mental health wards, you know, you would go through kind of security and you'd go through these big, heavy metal doors so that Mm -hmm. the patients would like a prison. Right. And they, exactly. And they, and she had some lovely fellow patients. My mother is, was as warm as could be. So anywhere she went, she wanted to make friends. And um, 
she would just, you know, introduce us while she was in this, this ward, you know, without thoughts, you know, a lot of lovely young anorexic patients, but I remember one, you know, they were, they were getting too fed, you know, there were some discipline issues, you know, it was my exposure to, um, you know, my, uh, the f first folks I met, you know, as a little girl, this kind of conservative small town that I was going to see mom in the psych ward and, you know, someone was undergoing um, a sex change operation. And right. my mom, right. it, to her credit, she was just warm and lovely and kind of this good <laughs> Christian to the core of like, not la la la, but you know, so she Welcoming normalized and warm and non but, 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 but on the other hand, forgetting like oh, my child is eight and uh, she misses me. And, and now I'm, you know, and, you know, and, and now you're kind of, kind of like, so I, those moments, definitely, I knew something was off. Mm -hmm. And then the hoarding, I didn't put really ever two and two together until much later, because you got to remember growing up, it wasn't that long ago, but there wasn't a word for hoarding. No, you didn't there wasn't. talk about it. I mean, people, you know, the, the reality shows weren't on. People didn't talk about it. I just knew I couldn't have anybody over to At the house. house. Yeah. And, and that didn't totally strike me as bizarre. I mean, definitely it was, it was more of her, um, her, the, the breakdowns, certainly the hospitalizations, right. um, the arsenal of pills, um, which, you know, as you go over to friends' houses and you're like, I don't think they're taking all these pills. Uh, I'm not trying to suggest she was overly medicated. She no, just, no, you know, it, I, I get it. Our listeners will get it too. Like you, you, it's, it's just this, the dawning of this is different. Yeah. And, you know, but to be clear, I, I really hit the lottery, though, because some people, when they're faced with those kinds of demons that she was faced with, turn to, you know, other vices. Mm -hmm. She didn't. Um, she she gave everything. She was a, a teacher. She was a very dutiful teacher. She was very loving. She was very loving to my brother and I without fail. She was very loving to my father. You know, uh, there's, there was a big moment, which I've gotten so many letters about from the moment of the book, when Finally, she knew where the suicide attempts were coming from. Finally, she knew where the anger was coming from when he was hospitalized after one of the suicide attempts. And he was having such a hard time. He finally came out to her with the help of a psychiatrist. And, and um, my father sobbed when he told me the story of when I was doing interviewing him for the book. He said, you have to include, you know, that she turned to him and held his hand and said, you know, if I can accept who you are, why can't you, you know, it's oh, okay. Wow. You know, she was just a very, I mean, I hit the lottery because, you know, I mean, <laughs> those demons could have um, had her turn out yep. or treat uh, others differently. And, and I got lucky. Um, unfortunately for her, she wasn't so good at taking care of herself, right. but lucky for me, she was very good about um, wanting to help and nurture others. So so I feel very, very, very blessed. With you and you, you, you wrote about being a perfectionist yourself. So how, how much do you feel like that was born of what you, you know, were dealing with at home? Or do you think it was more that that just, you just came out of the womb type A? I think it was a little bit of both, but mostly mm -hmm. sure overcompensating. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I look back and it's interesting because I, we have four children and they're still, you know, young and watching them grow. Um, it's interesting because I remember just uh, at some point kids are fascinating. I just decided, <laughs> okay, you know, this is sink or swim <laughs> and right. I am going to, 
I'm going to find a way to swim. And I don't know where that came from. I look back and this isn't, I'm so sorry. I, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging at all, but I look oh. back and I, as a parent, I'm fascinated because I'm like, wow. Because when I, you know, my mother, when my dad left, um, we had very little money. Um, we, you know, we, we did, you know, the usual stuff. We went on right. food stamps, government subsidized food. And she had to, um, she lost her accreditation for teaching. And so she had to go back to school and kind of work, not making much money. And so she wasn't home and she couldn't afford a babysitter. So mm -hmm. I look back and it, it was, um, you know, I went to see the movie, like a lot of people did, you know, um, Glass Castles. And, yeah. and, and the opening scene where she's cooking for herself at a stove at a, the audience, I was the only one in the audience not going, <gasps> because I had done that. And yeah. I was like almost smiling. I knew what was going to happen, but I, for a, I'm not wasn't smiling at what was going to happen where the child got burned. That never happened to me, but I was almost smiling because I remember, <laughs> you know, my mother leaving me alone when I was five for hours. Um, and, uh, it all worked out, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. but, uh, it's it's so to, to answer your question about perfectionism yeah I think it's set in pretty quickly like I've got to take care because I I knew at some level I wanted to get out yeah. and I also not long after once I was seeing her committed and whatnot and the self-consciousness kicks in I if the house looks like horrible I'm going to all the more get the perfect grades and mm -hmm. you know buy the nice clothes I, I you know I've always loved clothes I I you know what I would, I would have to get the economical version of anything but I would try to figure out the look you know I would work hard to be um not try to be somebody that I wasn't but definitely just really yes try to compensate for those yeah. those shortcomings and try to somehow um, I think at some level, right, we, the kids, our inner child is like, I'm going to somehow write this ship if I can make everything else all good yeah. on this end and like, control, right? That's the uh, last component of it. I'm sure you deal with that so many times with your, your listeners. You know, if you've got so much chaos around you, you can either succumb to that chaos or, right, we all spend, yes. the rest of us try to overcompensate and control everything that we can. And, and of course, it's such a farce because right exactly and, and, that, and then that becomes like I've talked about this with so many of our listeners and guests you know the this is what you did that helped you survive as a kid and you know as intact as you could and unpacking that as an adult and going well yes I had this awesome ability to survive clearly but in some ways you know, what was so helpful as a child is now kind of like crippling me as an adult. And I, need, yeah. to, I yeah. need to unpack that and go, okay, that was great. And now I need to reparent, you know, myself. And what I hear from you too, is, you know, you, you know, you really, I'm, I'm guessing that you went to, okay, mom is not always a hundred percent there. I've got to take care of myself. Um, That's right. You know, and that's, what happens with a lot of kids. Uh, I, it certainly happened with me too. Um, talk to us a little bit about, I read um, somewhere in your book that your mother, what she dealt with when she was a nun, you know, our listeners haven't had the benefit. Some of them maybe haven't had the benefit of reading the book yet, but uh, there were some issues there. And, and was that the reason why she left the church? 
Oh, she didn't leave the church. Act well. She, I mean, she, she, she left the convent. And the she convent left being I a mean, woman of the cloth. But she, yes, yes sure, sure. Sorry. But I just said better. The yes. only reason, no, 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 it's okay. I just, I mean, that I find it fascinating. The more I think about it, the more I learn about it. Um, is that she didn't leave the church when a lot of people would have. Um, so mm-hmm. my mother, um, not to, <laughs> spoiler alert, but um, hopefully people will will still want to, re- you know. Oh, there's the plenty to read in that treat. listeners. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the convent for uh, almost a full 10 years, uh, beginning in the 1950s. And, and to be clear, my mother, I think sometimes the stereotype is when people go to join the convent, that's all they could have done. Uh, people might think, which is as far from the case, uh, or they're running away from something, that might have been partially the case. But she graduated from college with honors. Um, she met with uh, then-President Truman privately in the Rose Garden of the White House because mm. of the government uh, work she'd been doing with student government. I mean, she was on the fast track. Uh, she was, you know, um, you know, highly decorated uh, student. And she was also very devout, oldest of six children, very Catholic family, Southern Indiana. She thought um, that, you know, she wanted to see the world and help you know, feed the poor and educate the poor. This is the way to do it. Um, Mother Teresa, you know, wasn't right. a big household name then, but she she wanted to do something akin to that. So she went in very bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and I think thought she was going to be because she was type A in her own right. I mean, an overachiever, <laughs> and she I think thought she was just going to go and da da. You know, here's my intellect, and I'm going to go save the world. And she was a hit in the classroom with her young students, but she wasn't a hit in the convent because, of course, in the convent, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's rather, you know, kind of like a, you know, your soul, your soldiers of God, even this right. army of God. They don't want you, um, especially for order, to shine, and yes. and that goes against your vow of obedience and your vow of silence and your, you know. Um, and and you give up so much, especially back then. Like they picked a new name for her; she had no say in it. You, when they say vow of poverty, I've since learned that some convents weren't so rigid. Hers was very rigid. That meant everything she'd been writing. She had she wrote songs and plays and had a record album collection, like you know people in the fifties do, and her poodle skirts and her saddle shoes. Uh, I, she understood, I think, that the clothing would be gotten rid of, but they wanted like, you know, her her private you know, letters, mm-hmm. everything basically burned. They took right. away private letters. Her old boyfriend from college tried to write to her for apparently for years and the, and the sisters took the letters away. Uh, she would, she wouldn't find out till she got out. He was, he was hurt. She hadn't written back. It, not, not that there was still a romance necessarily going on, but right. you know, just to connect. Um, so it was a very devastating and humiliating time for her. And by humiliating, I don't mean like, um, you know, it just, it was, it was, it was a whole world and she didn't know anything about it. And, and she and, dove and right into it. <laughs> right. They deprived med- her of medical care. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're big into fasting. The, the Catholic church, especially back then was more into fasting during Lent and whatnot. Um, she had low blood sugar. She'd pass out and be accused of not being devout enough. So instead of, you know, getting her some food, it was, pray harder and fast longer as punishment. Um, It was a very um, cruel system, you know, and so she was abused in in the convent. And interestingly enough, you know, last week was the first time that Pope Francis has acknowledged 
um, any kind of abuse, any kind of abuse of nuns. Uh, he finally acknowledged it's been an interesting time. It's a long time coming. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, it was, but yeah, I think it definitely contributed um, a lot to her later mental state. Um, it certainly changed her relationship with food. My father uh, couldn't prove it. And he knows that she was physically hurt and struck. He suspects there had been some sexual abuse. He couldn't prove it um, mm -hmm. based on things she had and hadn't said and in some therapy sessions they'd had together. Um, but it was a very rough time. And I've since heard from other nuns and family members of nuns um, that it's, it's one more dirty little secret of the church. Mm -hmm. uh, and I should note, my husband and I, we remain Catholic. We're raising our children Catholic. I know listeners out there might be saying, what? <laughs> are, you not, are you not talking out of both sides of your mouth? But my mother was very interesting. She... She believed mightily in the goodness of the church and Christianity, um, but she often said it was the people. The people are the problem, but, you know, um, she, she believed mightily in scripture and whatnot. So um, she helped me make a, a discernment and a distinction. Um, it's, it's complicated, which I readily recognize, but I also want to be clear that I'm not trying it for, at any moment um, to bash or paint this in blanket no. terms. Um, there are individuals, and it's like anything, when there's abuse of power, um, yes. it can be very tough to cut it out, especially the problem with the church. Uh, for so long, there's been a lack of transparency, a lack of accountability. And so I think, unfortunately, my mother got caught up in a perfect storm of seeing all that. But to her credit, um, although I know I've, I've taught, have I've been at talks where some have said, that's the problem she remained, you know, I, you know, I, right. she, she would counter that her faith helped get her through so much. And even the darkest of times that she managed to see around um, the um, inadequacies and, and, and abuses and frankly, um, um, evil nature of some right. um, to look beyond um, to, to, to the greater good and to, to take um, some still have relationship serious with uh, resilience to be able to do that. It really does. Right. Right. And as you know, I mean, some would say some serious, you know, you know, it's been For, so interesting. Yeah. It's a very forgiving heart. And yeah, I mean, when we're talking about all the things that you've been talking about, I, I'm, my brain's going, Ch -ch -ch. Oh, okay. That makes sense from like a psychological perspective. It absolutely makes perfect sense. Um, when you were, you know, going home and you were, no, you know, as an adult noticing the hoarding and what was going on there. And you knew more maybe at that point of what this is and what the, where the roots of it can come from. How did you feel as an adult knowing this is going on as opposed to what it was like as a teenager? Oh, the, the hoarding? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, it was so, so hard. Um, you know, it's, uh, you want so much. It, it's twofold. I, you know, when, once you really realize what's going on, you know, you, I think it's a, it's, it's symptomatic, right? Of the 21st right. century. You just want to Google it and wave a wand and fix it. Yeah. Let's <laughs> and, hire one of those people that comes and organizes your home and that'll be done. And it is uh, not stop, like that. Stop. <laughs> I know. I mean, I know, you know, that so when I say stop it, I say it because so many people mm -hmm. think that even when they've read the book, I mean, they're, they're playing armchair quarterback, right? Yes. Like, oh, well, you know, if armchair I were you, therapist, I would have yeah. done this. 
okay, thanks. You know, didn't think of that. You know, I, and um, hoarding is complicated. Mental health issues are complicated. As you know, first of all, it's not one size fits all. Yep. They're still wrapping their arms around hoarding. Um, but the problem was when I first was encountering it, I really thought, okay, I graduated at the top of my class from an Ivy League university. I am an accomplished young journalist. I am just going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to figure this out. I was shocked there wasn't more conclusive evidence pointing to even even what what hoarding is. You talk to enough uh, mental health experts, they'll have different definitions. We think it's under the OCD category for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, there are some exceptions to that, right? So obsessive compulsive disorder, fine. Depression, you know, ties right in there with her, her all of her years of depression. But Trauma. then, then, then it gets right then it gets murky right then yep. then you know then suddenly I mean you've got different approaches and you know um definitely though if anyone out there is is, is working with a hoarder um and a loved one in your life do not I repeat do not do what a dear friend of mine did I have a dear friend I didn't know his mother was also a hoarder his dirty little secret he um extremely successful he had the financial means to send his mother away to a spa for a weekend and mm. uh, have professionals clean everything out. And uh, his oh. mother didn't speak to him for three years. It, it yeah. really broke the relationship. Really traumatized. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so it was hard, though, to answer your question as like kind of this type A success driven yeah. um, adult to think that I couldn't help her. And yeah. also it's hard knowing how brilliant she is. Uh, my mother, I mean, I know I sound like a braggarly daughter or the blind <laughs> daughter, but she is truly, I mean, a very brilliant woman. And it was so hard to see what I saw and not be able to see, help her see, Hey, I just want to yeah. help or, Hey, can we, can we meet halfway or can you just, you know, meet me 10% of the way and let me do the rest or can we come up with a plan? Um, yep. It's very hard with hoarding. Um, and it's hard because if you're success oriented, you feel like you're admitting defeat if you don't get them out of that situation. And, I, yes. and I, I've come to recognize um, that we as a society, we've just got to do more to help one another, the, you know, the, the hoarding problem, I mean, they estimate, you know, you know, uh, all these stats are kind of loosey-goosey, you know, <laughs> but as, as many as, as 30 to 40% of the population is affected um, by hoarding, but yep. um, because it remains kind of so secretive and because of the complexity of the situation, we just haven't invested the resources in figuring out some better ways of streamlining the help. I think support groups will go a long way, support groups, both for family members and for the hoarders themselves, but yep. no, we'll it's get very there. hard as an adult. We'll yeah. get there as we do so many things. I mean, I, I'm, you know, when I started my show, even I was told, don't call it mental health in the title. And then when I started the network, don't put mental health in, in the title. And I was told this by, you know, counselors in mental health that were best-selling authors. And I was like, well, isn't that the point? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm, and now thank goodness I didn't listen. Now it's like, oh, this is the new popular word. Walmart is even doing, uh, you know, um, putting mental health clinics in their stores, which on the business side of that, I get it. They don't do an announcement and a press release when they put in one of the new hair salons that they put in their stores, but they made sure to do a press release about mental health clinics because mental health is suddenly good for business. So 
I'm glad I stuck it out long enough to get to this place. And it's going to be really fascinating for you, for me, for anyone that, you know, is an advocate in this field to see where it's going to go from here now that it is part of acceptable conversation and part of a good business PR strategy. Oh, I, I, I hope it will only continue to grow. I mean, I'm, I'm heartened by you know, the reception of the book. I'm heartened by the growing number um, of celebrities that are coming forward mm-hmm. and dealing with their own demons and issues. Even, you know, Bruce Springsteen talking recently about depression and, you know, people that no one ever would think, you know, um, certainly on Broadway, you know, musicals like Dear Evan Hansen and other, you mm-hmm. know, there's um, Be More Chill that's coming uh, to Broadway, you know, that are addressing increasingly, um, you know, what used to be, you know, the, the elephant in the room that was just never yeah. addressed is that, you know, that, that mental health is a thing. Um, but I don't know, I would love to see us get even further where, um, you know, when I alluded to earlier, when people talk about cancer, which is horrible, but, you know, as readily people, you know, hearts would go out to people if they say, you know, um, that a loved one has a serious mental health affliction. Right. Or um, that they have bipolar disorder themselves and oh, manage their right. lives. And it's not something you have to go, <gasps> Like I've, I've even seen some, some celebrities like Sarah Silverman that will go on, thank goodness for her and say, yeah, I still have moments with depression where I have my times where I'm crying on the floor in the bathroom in a ball. And I, she was talking with a couple hosts about this and I saw the, the host immediately look uncomfortable. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Oh, I hope we get to a place where <laughs> I've, I've said colleagues because I'm so used to the fact that my, my, my dad was bipolar and his mother was bipolar mm-hmm. and I'm just it's so normal for me. I mean, yes. compared to some of the other skeletons in my family closet, which I also talk about, but I, th- that one isn't as big a deal to me uh, because it's just part of who they were. Um, that's the way they were wired. I have to be careful. I mean, sometimes I can see signs in people and I have to be careful. Um, not depending on who the audience is not to share that sometimes right. I, I think I can recognize in, in people I know, but I don't know for sure that, that there seem to be signs of, of, for example, of bipolarity. And because if you, if you say it to the wrong set of ears, yep. it's, um, well, and I get that that could be very damaging, but I mean it back to the destigmatizing and talking about, you know, could, you could say, you know, it looks like that person may be coming down with such and such, like a physical ailment. That's okay. <laughs> but, right. You know, so true. That is such a good point. Oh my gosh. Bipolarity. And I mean that, look, a lot of great geniuses as we know were affected by these things. I mean, I, I get that you have to be careful. I mean, it's a very yeah. politically charged um, time and those are terms it can be you know damaging but I mean it from the standpoint of you know we still have these stigmas of you know and you know and that person you know may Mm -hmm. well have been diagnosed or may be reluctant to get diagnosed because there are these stigmas and um, you know I love this because listeners I want you to like take a walk with this with me this would be like going way beyond all you know the the pieces about this of course privacy is important of course it's not okay to be an armchair psychologist, you know, when you aren't one, you know, or to diagnose people when they aren't your patient even, and you don't let those things out. But, but think about it from this perspective, you know, how, if you see someone and they, and they fall, you know, they trip or something and you know, oh my gosh, I think they just broke, broke their leg. What if it was so okay to talk about mental illness that you could say, oh, 
maybe that's by, you know, maybe there's bipolar and have it be that like done, like no stigma, no shaming, no, no, no different than if you said, I think that person broke their leg. Would yeah. that not be a freaking amazing thing? That would be amazing. And it would be amazing for their loved ones. Yeah. You know, who, I mean, I ache for the loved ones. I know for my dad, I mean, my mom had it down. I mean, she knew how to explain to my brother and I, my, my father's bipolar, bipolar, you know, disorder. I mean, we knew, I mean, you know, she would just tell us, you know, daddy's trying a new medication, mm -hmm. you know, daddy's on, on the way down, you know, um, because some of the, you know, the downward spiral, I mean, Sarah Silverman, great if she talked about being curled yeah. up on the ball. I mean, my father would, um, you know, he would have very manic episodes on his downward spiral and sometimes try to take everyone down with them. Yeah. And it could be extraordinarily embarrassing, um, depending on what he did. Um, and, yeah. and, but I think for loved ones as well, if, if it could, you know, so that there could be some support for that. If you could say, you know, or if a child of a bipolar parent could be able to more honestly disclose, you know, I, to be yeah, clear, I mean, nobody. This is why I'm such a hyper, yeah, this is why I'm such a hyper vigilant person because I was constantly managing when I could see my father going into a manic episode and I was constantly managing, where are we? How do I... Yeah get us out of this place so that it's, a, you know, it does, it makes you hypervigilant. Oh, it's just, you know, just, you know, on edge, but it also, I, I think, you know, hopefully for you too, it just makes you set, you're so much more aware. Yes, I mean, now when I see signs of any of that, oh, absolutely. Or just understanding. I mean, the minute I hear that anybody has been touched by some of that, or you, you know, that's where my heart just goes out to the family members who are, you know, going into overdrive. Um, yeah. But yeah, it definitely makes you a much more compassionate person of, you know, um, of seeing the signs of, you know, the signs of depression, the signs of anxiety, the signs of the bipolar swings where you, you, you know, you mm -hmm. understand, um, and, and just what an effort it is for some people, um, you know, if, if they're on that downward slide or they're helping a loved one who is just to be able to get out of bed. <laughs> I know. That's why I have completely rewritten my definition of success uh, because in my world, it is not, you know, when you struggle with depression, success can literally be and is, I took a shower today. Yeah. It doesn't have That's to be, right. oh, I need to be like Tony Robbins and compare yourself to somebody else. No, my gosh, if our society could get away from looking at a celebrity and thinking, because I am flawed because I don't have what they have. They have some thing that doesn't exist in me, which makes them better. And that is not in any way, shape or form how it works. Right. <laughs> They aren't better. They're living their life, which is different than yours. And there's no way, there's no reason to compare yourself at all. Your journey is your journey. That's it's right. And, so, and as and you well know, I mean, the people that, that post that and seem to have it all together, seldom if ever. Oh, right. So I mean, oh, yeah. and that's where I think social media is interesting. We'll all have to see where we land with this. Yeah. But I think, you know, we've been in such an era of, you know, nobody likes something posted that you can't immediately like, or that it's universally agreed upon as a source for outrage. I mean, that, you know, um, so if it's not one of those categories, you know, this in between or sad or complicated posting, um, 
or honest. Um, I think honest. there's there's certainly some honesty, but I think there's a reluctance to do so because you put yourself out there, and you know people don't know how to respond. Um, right. And some people, you know, are looking, you know, for escape when they scan those, you know, right. posts and don't don't want to be weighted down by, oh, do I have to write something? Or, oh, you know, this is a downer, you know, a, a buzzkill. It, 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 right. it's, it's unfortunate that we're not in a, in a place where, yes, that someone can celebrate. I think, you know, certainly within circle, certain circles of friends, they can do that of, I did take a shower today and I did, you know, I, you know, I, yeah. I did X, Y, or Z and I got through the day. I mean, sometimes that's all it is, right? When you're in the throes yep. of it. And again, this is both for the person going through it and for the loved one trying to support them. Absolutely. Or if you can just go through, you know, without that, you know, the bad phone call or, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever it might the be. world, leave me alone today because today I can't deal with it. I know we have one of our, we love doing this where we'll, our, one of our podcasters will post this happy, happy family picture and you know, it was taken to put in the family photo album and they'll put it out on social media laughing, saying, because I'm in the world of mental health, I'd be like, and then we took the picture where all of us had knives at each other because we literally were just fighting and turned around and smiled for the picture and then went right back to fighting. So that picture that you see is not what was really going on. Of course. Of course. And I think we all... I hope more of us know that than let on, but I, you know, I, I, you know, I ache for folks that don't, you know, where they kind of get caught up in it. That that's a real life when it's a. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some of my favorite photos, I'm sure uh, other listeners may be the same. It's one of the best pieces of advice I got from one of my uh, favorite cameramen, uh, this wonderful freelance cameraman. I I don't get to work with nearly enough, but he told me, I, I think I just had my, second child and I was working with him on a shoot or actually the baby had come with me on a full show remote they, the baby wasn't with me on all the shoots but the baby was around and he said you know what you need to do you know um photograph and videotape them during the temper tantrums I'm like what yes and he yes. said no 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 really really he's like they love it later you'll love it and um I started doing it and the kids it's true but yeah. I mean these these moments of imperfection are fantastic or um there's a couple photos my son snapped of me after I had the, uh, my, my, our fourth had been born around the time when I was writing white dresses and uh, you know, I was, you know, full-time working mom of four, I was nursing. <laughs> I was still in the throes of grief over my mom, you know, and some of my the photos, I don't look great. And I wouldn't have otherwise let anyone, I'm so glad to have those, That's you know, right. the messy house, you know, <laughs> the, the messy hair, but there's something real about it where yes. I think um, we need to embrace that a little bit more um, and kind of get beyond this. I think the pendulum, you could correct me if I'm wrong. I think the pendulum is swinging more in it that is. direction. Is, I think thankfully. people are kind of over this. Um, you know why? You know why? Because it's swinging at the same time that mental health is becoming more and more of an okay term to use, which is, Good. which Good. is you know, that's a direct correlation because, you know, and that people are realizing too, that mental health is one term and mental illness is another. They are not the same thing. Neither should be stigmatized, but they are actually two separate terms. That's so. actually important to note. <laughs> and I, and I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. And I think sometimes, um, 
absolutely. We, we, we interchange them too much or mm-hmm. we, yeah, we take one for the other. I think that that's a or really we valid won't point. talk about mental health in a positive way. Like I feel really right. good today. I'm so happy about my mental health and we won't use that term because we automatically think, Oh, people are going to think I str-. like there's this right. stigma and it's like, no mental health can be, you could never have had depression in your whole life. Uh, mental health is just, that's what it is. It's like physical health. Right and physical illness are two separate things. So anyway, Mary, we could like go on. I don't want you on for like 80 shows, but okay. <laughs> I'll pencil you in. <laughs> yeah, I know you're very busy, but this is awesome. This is wonderful. Tell our listeners where they can find out more about you. Well, you can certainly pick up a copy of my book, White Dresses. Uh, that's available on Amazon. It's available in Barnes and Noble. Um, and I love responding to any any kind of notes, um, positive or negative. Feel free to tell me if you didn't like it. But I could be reached at Mary Slum Peterson. Uh, my, my last name is a little bit crazy. Mary P.F. like Frank L.U.M. like Mary. Mary P.F.L.U.M. Peterson dot com. Uh, and you can also check out my Facebook page, Mary Slum Peterson. Uh, would love to hear from you. Um, the, the book White Dresses uh, is um, something that, that has a little bit of something for everyone, especially if you come yeah, from any kind of complicated family, which is all of us. So, Absolutely. so I'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. It's been an honor. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Good boy.